Hey everyone, just a really quick content warning at the top of this episode. This episode deals with a couple of pretty heavy themes, including suicide, and we talk about it quite a bit. So if that is something that you don't feel like dealing with or listening to, feel free to skip this episode. We still love you. Okay, thanks. Bye. Welcome back to Orange You Glad We Watched the OC, a podcast where what happens in Mexico does not stay in Mexico because we are talking about it on the internet, which is in Mexico, but also everywhere else. <laughs> I'm Sarah, and this is Evan, and today we are discussing uh, episode seven, season one of the OC, entitled The Escape. Evan, are you big pimpin'? Oh, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? How right out the gate, we're cursing me. Dare you? <laughs> oh my god! Answer the question. Oh, I don't have my my rubber band. The listeners want to know. <laughs> I don't drink alcohol, but if I do, it will be this show. <laughs> That makes me do it. So normally, this is the part where I ask you to recap for Steve what happened in this plot. And uh, from your body language and glaring at me, I feel like you have a lot of thoughts on this episode. But it is possible that I have more thoughts. So if it's all right with you, I would like to walk us through this one. Absolutely. Can I say one thing super quickly? Absolutely. Editing these episodes, there is a theme in the beginning of every episode. I have a moment where I go, so a lot happened last episode. (laughs) And... What did I say? I, I I usually say something like, man, they really they really dialed it up to 11 in episode one. Where are they going to go from here? And the answer is they just keep climbing. Uh-huh. They just. So, yeah, Sarah, please walk us through for the benefit of Steve and Mary. Hi, Mary. <laughs> what the fuck happens <laughs> in episode seven? Of the OC. Okay, so we open in the kitchen, and Seth and his torso are torsoing about, and one of these days, we're going to let the torso go, but that day is not today. Those fucking shirts that he wears make it look so... And really, I'm sorry, I just have to interject here. He was wearing a shirt that had a golf cart on the front and racing flags on the back. I mean... He was the king of teenage irony. What do you... I don't understand what your issue is. Please continue. Okay. So, on the last weekend before school, one goes to Tijuana. Is it, a tra- it is a tradition and a rite of passage. 
For whom, Seth? For whom is it a tradition? Not you. So they're convincing um, Seth's parents to let them go to Comic-Con, <laughs> which is the cover for going to Tijuana. So Ryan is expressing some trepidation at lying to these people who he is just barely on solid footing with <laughs> having not punched anyone solidly in I think the past episode did he punch anyone in the past episode not to my no. recollection no okay another thing that I would like to touch on Seth continues to make the wrong decisions about literally everything fucking constantly how are comic cons and shark IMAX movies not cool. Right? Would you which one would you rather be at? Did you see how sweaty it was in Tijuana? It looked very sweaty. Also, also we 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 learn from Seth and Sandy that Seth has been attending Comic-Con since he was 10. It seems like a lovely tradition that we should just we should have continued with. Also, when he is discussing Comic-Con with Ryan, Ryan gets an excellent burn in. Um, Seth disparages Comic-Con as a place where, what was it, people go to ogle Wonder Woman? Uh, uh, porn stars dressed like porn, Catwoman. Porn stars dressed like Catwoman. And then Ryan says, and you've been every year. <laughs> Zing! Sick burn. Bazinga! We love to see it. So, also, why do Seth's parents keep giving him access to Ranges Rover? <laughs> it would seem that after what happened with the first Range Rover, also, side note, who owns two Range Rovers? This is specifically his mom's. I'm getting real, real in the weeds with this, but it makes me very upset. Also, who says, I've got my mom's Range Rover? Why wouldn't you just say, I've got my mom's car? How much did Range Rovers get paid? Range Rover count is two right now. <laughs> Range Rover count is two. <laughs> so, all right. Keep going with the rock, with the rock, rock. With, with, with the, with the recap? Is that what we're calling it? Uh, Steve we're recap? Just, we're not. Steve cap, Reeve cap is Steve what we're going to call it. <laughs> Genius. So... They establish this plan. Seth is happy. Cut to the next scene. He traipses into the pool house with a sombrero. This is all very culturally sensitive. <laughs> and Ryan, I don't know why this tickles me so much, but the, the, the way Ryan delivers the line, I don't wear hats. <laughs> Just tickles the fuck out of me. It's like offended. <laughs> but Ryan doesn't wear hats. Look at his head. You can't look at his head because this is an audio medium. Pause the pod. Go look up a picture. Go to DuckDuckGo. <laughs> and type in Ryan's head and see what you get. And let us know. Send it to the Twitter, which is orange, the letter U, the numeral one. At, dot, dot twitter at com? Twitter dot gov. At this. <laughs> so that's established. There's some whatever. There's some vamping about Spanish. And this was before uh, cell phones had Duolingo. So 
Seth has a giant book of Spanish phrases and I have a lot of feelings about the direction that they're taking Seth. I don't know what to make of it at this point because like, is he 50? Is he like Shecky comedian? Like, do you know what I'm saying? What's the phrase that he tries to teach Ryan? It's, it's, it's the, the Spanish phrase. Is it something like those low ride jeans are cutting off circulation no. to your feet? No. <laughs> I would like to see some ladies swimsuits in worsted something. Worsted is a term for something in the construction of clothes. This is wow. I'm, this is why people tune in. This is why <laughs> deep, deep commentary. Yes. On every single second of this fucking show. <laughs> Dissected, opened up like so many fetal pigs. Okay. So we get through that. I get what you're saying. But we switch to one of the most important conversations. Oh, they're talking in the pool house. Seth and Ryan are talking about how it never would have worked with Marissa. And then they flip to Marissa and Summer. The girls are painting their toenails. And having a version of the same conversation. Girl talk! Yes. And the, the reason that this specifically infuriated me all three times that I watched it <laughs> taking many notes. Um... They have a discussion about how uh, Marissa has finally lost her virginity to Luke. And Summer is like, was it bad? Did you hate it? Don't worry, it gets better. And I just was struck by the fact that young women for I don't know how many centuries at this point if they have been encouraged to think about having sex for the first time at all they're you're conditioned to think that your first time is going to be shit maybe if we had a conversation like a real conversation about pleasure about uh, enthusiastic consent and not just getting it over with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we might be in a different place let's talk about foreplay Let's talk about comfort and safety. Let's talk about respect. Let's talk about lube, bitch. Let's talk about consent. Yes, let's talk about lube, bitch. Let's talk about lube, baby. Let's talk about lubing me. Let's talk about... (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Let's talk about... Let's talk about going slow right yeah let's go about expectations let's go about let's let's talk about um maybe being in love but also not you don't have to be in love to have sex but sometimes that's nice let's talk about um um what's the what's the if if you give consent but then you can also what's the word repeal the word of is it repealing (laughs) (laughs) no it's not (laughs) Just take it back. Takesy-backsies. That's what we're going to call it. Let's talk about takesy-backsies. Maybe the most important aspect of enthusiastic consent is takesy-backsies. And let's not have this idea reinforced, which is 
explored a l- in a little more dialogue towards the very end of the episode the idea that dudes can just kind of fuck around as much as they want to with girls from what were the schools i don't care because we're going to talk about that scene in great depth later but boys can stick their dick in whatever and girls are supposed to dither over their first time and then mm-hmm, not even mm-hmm, enjoy it mm-hmm. right they're supposed to hem and haw which is exactly what happened to me btw save themselves TMI. right what a horrible phrase that's entered the lexicon uh-huh i'm saving myself like what For... like what like you're not like it's a like you're a like you're a you're a uh, uh, a horse, a can of cashews <laughs> that you've been saving for Christmas. I'm not going to open these cashews until it's a really special time until boxing day. <laughs> this metaphor could be better. It's, it's going very <laughs> off the rails. Can of cashews you saving for boxing day. Anyway, you guys are like, I eat cashews all the time. <laughs> Guess what? I don't need it to be a special day. I can buy more cashews. <laughs> cashews are easily accessible. All right. They come from the cashew apple. Okay. They're a seed, not a nut. Yep. Sorry. They come in a leathery pouch that's filled with an acid. The more you know. These are all these are all true facts. <laughs> all of them are like sex too. Sex also comes in a leathery pouch that's filled with acid. Depends on if you're circumcised or not, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, I think we have to stop complaining about how there is one diner slash coffee shop lobster shack for everyone in this town to keep running into each other at because they're at, that actually might. Also, be the case. Donnie is still employed there. Did, did you see him? I did not. He's just in the background, just Donnieing about. Well, just I mean, being Donnie, even though he fallen shot somebody. <laughs> In an earlier episode. They probably couldn't find any other extras. <laughs> He's just there, like being Donnie, and I'm like, hey, you shot Luke. Luke comes in later. <laughs> He's in that scene. And Luke doesn't see, you know, like Do- Luke and Ryan share sort of a pregnant um, uh, glance with each other. <laughs> Luke doesn't go to Donnie like, hey, remember when you fucking shot me, you prick? <laughs> I'd like the lobster. Yes. But more to my point, back to my point, the 2020 population of Newport Beach was 86,694 people. Okay. All of them were probably at the insurrection. (laughs) But it is a tiny, tiny town is what I'm getting at. And that is why all of the teens, including Seth, who says something in this scene about how I have hearing like a wolf. And I don't do do wolves hear good, Evan? They must. They must. If I Seth, I assume. If Seth says it, then they hear good. Yeah. <gasps> like cancer pee count. <gasps> oh my god, he said like a wolf! <laughs> Holy shit, he did it by himself! He did it by himself. Like anthropy count um, plus plus. So we've add we have added an integer. Uh, we have we have we have uh, We've uh, iterated the uh, the variable. Uh, we've iterated the integer of, of, of lycanthropy count by one. We're either at two or three total lycanthropy count. Listeners, write into the pod and tell us what number it is. The Twitter is orange, the letter U, the numeral one, at twitter.com, I think. 
Very good. Whatever. Someone start a Wikipedia on us. <laughs> <Don't do that>. um, <laughs> so we're at the teen shack of lobster and Summer is complaining. They're all discussing TJ and how they're going to get to TJ. I'm pretty sure much like the OC, no one who has gone to TJ ever actually calls it TJ. <laughs> but some circumstances arise and Summer finds herself without a ride down to Tijuana. Oh God, it's a whole fucking thing. So like one of the other running themes of this show, and this is really, really a running theme, is people make plans and then a bunch of characters ditch out of those plans and then end up fulfilling those plans anyway. And actually, this happens to Summer constantly. And I want to talk about this a little bit more, maybe in depth later or now. Do you mean Summer or Marissa? Summer Summer faces the consequences of Marissa doing that yeah. all the time, right? Okay. Marissa says she'll do a thing, then she pulls out at the last moment, then she goes through with it anyway. This happens to Summer all the time by Marissa doing this. So this is something that I want to talk about. Okay. In episode six, we talked about how a lot of these characters really did not seem themselves, right? Mm -hmm. From episode to episode, I am desperately looking for character consistency to grab onto. In this episode, I'd like to, yeah. A good note about this going forward, Ryan doesn't wear hats. Yes. Okay. We know that. <laughs> Ryan equals no hats. If someone puts them in a hat, we're fucking canceling this podcast. Terrible consistency. <laughs> so I was paying attention cl closely to Summer because she's actually in this episode a lot. Um, and for the most part, she's her own, you know, shitty bitchy self. Um, but there, there are moments in this episode where... She, because I've been kind of, um, I've been kind of examining Summer and uh, Mariska's, uh, uh, Mar Mar Marissa? Marissa. I've been studying Mar Summer and Marissa's <laughs> friendship. I feel like you're doing this on purpose. No! I'm sorry! <laughs> um, because in a lot of these episodes, their friendship, their friendship seems, you know, shallow at best. And sort of a friendship of convenience. But I think I know where you're going with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, Summer yeah. is the one who always kind of extends the gestures and demonstrates that she listens and is really intuitive about stuff that Marissa is going through and stuff that Marissa needs. Yeah. And Marissa also... So both of them have their moments of being kind of shitty friends. Like Marissa, for example, constantly backs out of plans and then ends up going anyway, you know, and that's super annoying for somebody who is very, very social and outgoing like Summer is. And then Summer, for her part, um, you know, she just brings a certain level of bitchiness to their to their friendship. Also dumps her lifeless, passed out drunk body <laughs> on, on the fucking the driveway. driveway in episode <laughs> one. This is my best friend. Let's drag her unconscious body. Just kind of leave it like a tipped over scarecrow. To be fair, and I could be pulling this entirely out of my ass, but I don't think I am. I think the way they they added her in the first episode and she tested so well and like viewers liked her so much that they expanded her role. 
So I don't think she was supposed to be anything other than kind of like this cipher in season one or episode one. Well, good for her. Um, (laughs) But I wanted to mention that uh, before we continue. Yes. Because, you know, their friendship is really kind of. Uh, it's it's one of the plot elements. I feel if if if, if it's not a plot element, it's at least sort of one of the mechanisms uh, that proves to be important to this episode. Yes, as per usual, we are going a little bit out of order, so we're going to back up because before they are at the Teen Lobster Shack, <laughs> there is a phone call of exposition, Jimmy. Jimmy Cooper is moving out the weekend that Marissa is going to Tijuana under cover of nightfall and has not told his daughter and his alleged other daughter. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen that bitch since episode what, two? Possibly one. I think she was in one. No, two because whatever. Pony. Pony. Alopecia pony. Alopecia pony. Doesn't matter. Um, also of note, Julie is nowhere to be found in this episode, and that's a little strange. But anyway, so the phone call of exposition, and Jimmy is like, I'm gonna leave and get an apartment without telling my teenage daughter. Is this a bad idea, Evan? Oh, see, okay. Uh, so his reasoning is he doesn't want his girls to see him moving out. And he feels like that would be somehow too much for them to handle. Now, however, ostensibly, which having edited this show, I say a lot, but it's a good fucking word that actually relates (laughs) to all this shit. So ostensibly, he wants to maintain a relationship with his kids. Um, If he would have invited them sort of into the process of helping him move out, you know, help me find a place, help me. I don't know. I'm not a parent, you know, and obviously I've, I've never undergone a divorce. I think from his position, his choice is at least consistent with his character. Um, Cause one of his key beats and one of the key things do you, I don't remember what episode this was in, but there was the scene where he looks at Marissa and goes, we don't lie to each other. Uh, and he, then he just commences lying out of the pores of his skin. Also, all the time, a lot of his forever. motivation <laughs> just seeping out of his face, <laughs> just untruths and half truths. That's why he's so sweaty all the time. Yeah. It's just all the lies. That's why his hairline is just going back. Coating his body like a defensive hagfish (laughs) slime. Um, One of his primary motivations in all the other episodes in which he's featured is saving face. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it would just be, maybe he's saying it would be too hard on the kids, but maybe what he really means is he would be humiliated uh, to have his girls witnessing him moving out. That is an excellent insight. And it's, I think it's super, super in keeping with all of his previous motivations that we've seen, okay. right? All the lies, the getting the, the loan from Kirsten is all to try and save face in the community and in front of his family. So have you found your consistent character? Yeah. I, are think, you satisfied? I think Jimmy's motivations and actions are pretty damn consistent. Yeah. Um, 
and we'll get to some of the you know other things that he does later in the episode that are also consistent with what we know about his history. Okay. After the phone call of exposition, there is a brief scene where Kirsten says that, why didn't you come to me, Jimmy? I will help you paint your house or your new apartment or whatever. Because he couldn't, yeah, because he couldn't find an apartment. Like, what, the apartment he was going to get was had pulled out. Right. And so he was like, well, I do know a realtor. So uh-huh. he calls Kirsten and she helps him again. She uh-huh. helps him again. She helps him again. And some groundwork is being laid. We'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Our spidey senses are spideying. It's Chekhov's conversation with Kirsten. <laughs> it's Chekhov's Zendaya. I don't know what that means. Zendaya was in one of the Spider-Mans. Um, <laughs> um, we are back in Teen Smoochville. And in the words of Summer, ew. They're like messing around, Luke and Marissa. And Luke says to Marissa while unbuttoning, was it her pants or her shirt? Shirt. Shirt. Don't worry, it'll be better the second time. And he's like, baby, we're going to shack up in a hotel in Tijuana and we're going to have all of the boning. We're never going to leave the hotel. Don't worry about seeing Ryan or anyone. (laughs) Right, yeah. And she's like, Tijuana is kind of gross, which I mean, fair. Why even go to Tijuana if you just want to bone? You could just have gotten a hotel in the OC. Because... Luke is a bad person. Drugs? Is that what he wanted? I mean... Underage drinking, which there's a lot of in this episode? Yeah. I mean, it does... It is a, like, weird character question because these teens seem like they can get anything they want at any time. So I think it's probably just about the experience Mm -hmm. and the fact that everybody else is going, so why shouldn't they? Well, and also what? They said it's a rite of passage. Yeah. Right, so yeah. Well, Seth said it's a rite of passage, so... See, but Seth... Seth really knows (laughs) what the rites of passage are for the kids in the OC because he has been... Outside of them? Exactly, yeah. yeah. He is keenly aware. I mean, you remember... He's essentially the Greek chorus a lot of the time because who was he was you like, you think everything is a Greek chorus. Yeah, sorry. Well, when he was like in the boat or whatever, he was like, I know exactly when who kissed who in the sixth grade. It was blah, blah. Like Seth is a very keen observer of all of the social, um, all the social events to which he is not invited <laughs> until he gets Ryan, which is his fucking golden ticket to these things. Would you say, damn it, I lost what I was going to say. It's fine. It's all right. Um, Marissa says that she's not going to Tijuana because she's worried about her dad. And Luke is like, why are you thinking about your dad right now? We are (laughs) close to boning. And to which I say, maybe if you were better at Smoochville, (laughs) she wouldn't be thinking about her dad, Luke. Also, dude, you were there when he was savagely beaten by a man at Cotillion. Like... 
Wouldn't you be worried about your dad too if it was made uh, clear and public to all of all of your social class in one event that your dad not only had laundered four millions of dollars of the of the community's money, but then was also beaten down like a fucking pinata in front of everybody? I mean, to be fair, that does not come up in this episode at all. And had we not been alerted to or reminded of his existence in the previously on, it would have been a non-entity. It would not have been a non-entity. We remember. And after it happened, after after Jimmy got his ass completely handed to him and Sandy, for that matter, by one guy who was just like an unleashed Wolverine, just fucking <laughs> ripping through all sorts of various members of the OC. Um, when Marissa runs outside to be like, oh, this sucks. What the fuck is happening? And Ryan uh, runs out to comfort her. Luke is also there. Remember, he had left. And he was like, fuck this shit, I'm late, I'm leaving. But he comes back to be like, I heard, and I came right away. Like, there is a part of Luke, although he's painted very negatively in this episode, uh, again, in stark contrast to how he was presented in episode six. Nobody was themselves in episode six. Luke is kind of whatever the writers want him to be. Yes! I think. Every character is kind of what the writers want them to be in that episode, completely devoid of context of every other episode. But Luke especially, because all of Luke's talking and general kind of douchebaggery and antics are leading up to a very specific kind of heel turn for Luke, which is what... It was and it wasn't foreshadowed. It was because of Holly. Yeah, I mean, okay. Episode one, he hooks up with somebody on the beach. Was it Holly? Yeah. Has it been Holly every time? I think my general bad long-term memory and the fact that we revisit the show once every couple of weeks (laughs) and also the fact that every single minor character looks the same (laughs) contributed to the fact that we were unable to consistently identify Holly. (laughs) Holly equals Farrah Fawcett hair. Okay. And I think that there is some intense foreshadowing in the season, in the scene that they're all in the lobster shack table in that she, when confronted with Marissa across the table, she looks like she's about to pee her pants. Yep. Yep. And we're like, yep. huh. And there's a moment at the fish tank uh, in said restaurant where Holly's like, mm, um, um, do you see these fish? You know what they have in common with me? Cloacas. <laughs> no, wait, no. <laughs> These fish are wet, Luke. Wet. Would you like to have some fish tacos? Ah, oh my God. You said it. Oh, my God. You did that entirely by yourself, <laughs> and I could watch on your face as you regretted it as the words were coming out of your mouth. That was a lovely moment of humanity right there. She also does this little pout that makes me want to send her to an acting class. Can I ask you this? Yeah. And this is like a serious question. Okay. Because one of the things that we're trying to do while studying these episodes and trying to, you know, break them down and also find the through line, you know, and also sort of, you know, like the the theory behind it and the, the, the morals of it and, mm-hmm. you know, like the larger socioeconomic kind of themes therein. And one of the one of the prime ways that we're doing that is we are believing characters, yeah. right? Um, 
we are approaching characters as though they are consistently themselves and not written by a bunch of different people, you know, that they have their own voice. So this is my question. Holly has been pursuing Luke since episode one, literally. Yep. Is she just into him physically or does she want the social clout that comes from dating Luke? Given the speech that she makes at the end, which would be jumping way ahead, I'm going to say the former. She just really likes him? Uh, She just wants to have sex. Yeah. With a guy on the lacrosse team or whatever he does. Mm -hmm. I would be curious, and I'm sure that this will potentially come up later. We'll see if it's a plot point that they they decide to deal with in later episodes. There's probably 40 episodes left in this season. So they've got all the time in the world to actually, you know, address this 20. Um, There's 20 episodes left. I wonder, I will be, I will say this. I will be very interested to see if they decide to delve a little bit deeper into the Holly character, or if she's literally just a foil for Marissa. And the reason I wonder is because I have been surprised in the past with the way that they have handled characters. Um, you said it in an earlier episode that when they introduce a character, it's on purpose. Um, so I will be curious to see if Holly's deeper motivations are at any time revealed. Um, because as the, uh, even though it's very obvious, she is physically into Luke, you know, and again, I've said it. I'm on record. I think he's a hunk. I think he's a chatty hunk that, you know, has big, strong arms. Chatty or chatty? Ch- chatty. Ch- yeah, okay. C-H-A-D-D. Because he doesn't talk all that much. No, 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 no. He lets his hips and lips do he's the talking. He's like, babe, babe, why aren't we in Tijuana, babe? He lets his kind of, he lets his kind of like sandy hair and <laughs> blue eyes do the talking. <laughs> he lets his, ooh. Strong hands. Okay, we're going to throw way back. Luke or Ryan? No! <laughs> no, I'm still Ryan. I'm still Ryan just because Luke, to me, really... Okay, here, I'll say it. I'm just going to say it. Luke absolutely seems like the kind of guy that he just fucking jackhammer thrusts until he's done. Like, he doesn't give a shit about... Like, he looks like a good kisser, but I think once the motion has begun, I think he just gets to the end. I think he's just like whack-a-mole just fucking pounding that vulva until he completes himself is i think he's a guy who just kind of lays there because he's like my conventional attractiveness will surely carry me through this interaction with another human being and i don't have to do shit ah do you oh well okay hang on i'm trying to i'm trying to to move my mind backwards to episode six's montage was Marissa on top at one point? I was so horrified by that montage that I have blocked all of it from my memory. I write I'm having a hard time remembering. I don't think that they would have given her that sense of agency. No, I don't see her I don't see her doing fucking cowgirl on this, you know, no. especially on her first fucking time. I don't know. I just see him as just pounding, just being a machine, just like a fuck machine, just like <laughs> just essentially a piston. That just goes and goes until he's done. And then he just collapses, you know, and he doesn't give a shit. Ryan, on the other hand, 
I see as, you know, being a little bit more like a jazz ensemble, you know, <laughs> a little bit more like a soccer game, you know, a little bit more cooperative, a little bit which, more collaborative, a which, little bit more, you know, interested in everybody having a good time. I didn't mean to keep interrupting. Oh, you. please. Which one of them knows where the clit is? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're children. Not, neither of them. <laughs> No, 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 no. The female body is a mystery to them. They have no idea. No. Which is fine, you know. They, they, yeah, no. They, no. They, they, they have a passing familiarity with the vulva and the mysteries therein. But, yep. uh, yeah, no. Okay. I think, right here, I'll say it this way. I think Ryan will go downtown uh and uh and you know and do some some linguistics i do not think luke ever i don't think luke has that in his bag of uh of tricks i don't think he has any interest no. whatsoever in flossing no you know if, if dental hygiene you know get what get my drift you know not like the tiktok flossing you know no no, no flossing with it was a, i was making like yeah, a pubic I, hair kind of okay trying to i don't know why i'm doing these things <laughs> I know why this is why I'm trying to catch 22 double entendre. Speaking of double entendres, what the fuck does this line mean? You don't make the freshmen watch the a real donkey show, do you? What the fuck was yeah? What, what is a donkey what show? What the fuck was that? What are we implying? Are what you, kind of freshman hazing happens? Do we have to look this up? No. Don't look this up, listeners. Don't tell us. Don't go to DuckDuckGo (laughs) and look up Donkey Show (laughs) in the context of episode seven of the OC and then send it to orange, the letter U, number one on Twitter. Yes. Please please continue with your Steve roundup, honey. I will. Okay. So we switched to the adult land of not Jimmy for a minute and it is revealed that a corporate law firm is going after everybody's daddy (laughs) sandy cohen sandy the eyebrows cohen sandrew lawyer cohen (laughs) (laughs) and we are as the viewer a guest yeah but okay so we're led to believe that he has been headhunted number a number of times and he goes for the free food and he always turns them down. Yes. Because he, as he says in his own words, I've been in the PD's office my whole life. Public defender. Yes. So he waltzes into this uh, corporate law firm and is confronted with taller Reese Witherspoon Is this knockoff. the C plot? Because if the A plot is the kids, the B plot is Jimmy. This is the C plot. Right? I wouldn't even say that Jimmy is the B. P- no, yeah. he's the B plot. He is the B plot because of what happens yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah he is the B yes. plot. So this okay. is our C plot. Uh, yes. Okay. We're juggling some coconuts here, people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's a knockoff Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> oh my God, she super is knockoff taller Reese Witherspoon, and they banter sexily a little bit and we're just like Sandy no daddy stop it (laughs) don't break up the family both of these marriages cannot fall apart on the same episode but I could see it in your eyes a little bit 
while you were watching this that you thought it was going to go there immediately. Oh, well, it sure. was going all the other places. Well, okay, and their banter. So uh, uh, the person with whom he is speaking is a lawyer that used to be the ADA, right? Mm-hmm. What does that stand for again? American Disabilities Act. Thank you. <laughs> what Assistant is District Attorney. Attorney, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so they used to sort of be on opposing sides of the aisle. They used to spar. Right? Yes, thank you. you. will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to uh, ba- battle of wits in the, uh, the field of... Uh, of legalities. And we don't like where this is going because we have previously noted that Kirsten, while a nice white lady, kind of doesn't have any other depth than being a nice white lady. Yeah. And doing a, a bunch of like. She paints. Like. The, the, apartments. She's or yeah, under the shadow of her dad that Sandy hates. And uh, she does a lot of philanthropic work. Does she? Ugh. Kind of against her will, maybe. She she has a she did a casino night. She sure did. <laughs> she sure did. But yeah, it's obvious, at least to the viewer, in this scene where Sandy is sort of bantering with this woman whose name escapes me, that they have a history, uh, and really like. This banter is is sexually charged. You know, they, they don't say anything overtly sexual, but, you know, he comes up and he says something and she's like, oh, six seconds from the first insult. Very nice. You know, little took you a little longer than I thought, you know? And no. when you, yeah, like, his, yeah, his, his eyebrows are a little firmer in this uh, scene <laughs> than they are a lot of the time. You know, he feels challenged. He feels challenged. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not something that he feels in his home life, which, you know, you you don't necessarily want that in your home life, but you know what I mean. I am plenty challenging. (laughs) Yeah, you. But in an adorable way. No comment. (laughs) (laughs) So that little colonel is coloneled. Yes. And then they go into their meeting. Yeah. Um. And yes, the audience is led to ask ourselves. Oh, Sandy. Oh, Sandy. What are you doing? Right. What is this? What's happening? Sandy, why are you bothering me? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we switched back to Teen Town. Teen Town. Teen Town. And everybody is in the Range Rover. They're all corralled. But before they get in the Range Rover... Sandy is losing all of the points this episode because this is the second time that he points out that Summer oh, is shit. hot. We forgot to mention oh. that because Marissa decided at the cafe that she was not going to go, Seth, who used his wolf-like hearing to <laughs> eavesdrop on their conversation, went over to Summer and was like, hey, I heard you needed a ride. And then that transitions into eventually this scene. And that scene is also notable because, again, she refuses to acknowledge that she knows his name in public. I love the fucking (laughs) Summer is there. Um, uh, Sandy is like, ah, you must be Summer. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Sandy Cohen. I'm Seth's dad. So you're going to go to the Comic-Con, huh? And she's like, comics? Yeah. (laughs) 
And Seth's like, uh, she uh, she goes to the anime dad. And he's like, ah, okay. I don't know what he says. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know what that is. And Summer's like, oh my God, I'm going to go say goodbye to Marissa. And she's meanwhile dressed like either Thelma or Louise <laughs> from Thelma and Louise. I don't know which one because I never saw that movie come at me. We should show it to you eventually. Probably. And when she makes her exit, yeah, Sandy's like, oh, she's quite the hot little rocket there, isn't she, son? Hey, buddy boy. She's a hot tamale. Hey. And we're like, Dad, stop it. <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh my God, stop it. <laughs> Did you not notice that she obviously hates everyone in this scene that is not herself? <laughs> so she goes uh, to say goodbye to Marissa. And Marissa and her dad have this very awkward, difficult exchange, which I think both pricked up her ears a little bit. She's like, Dad, something seems wrong with you. I think I should stay this weekend. He's like, I made other plans. And she's like, but are you okay? And he says, I can't take care of both of us. And like, you're a father? Like, what the fuck does that even mean? You're a father. Like, your job is to take care of your child. A of all. B of all. What are you? Why would you say that? I hate to. So, like, that raises so many questions. Like, (laughs) A... The term legal guardian comes to mind. Mm -hmm. B, who is taking care of whom then? Like, if he can't take care of both of us, is that to say he can take care of her, but not himself? Or he can't take care of... He can can take care of himself, but not her? Like, what? It's just bad writing. It's not good writing. It's just bad writing. It's bad writing, but it ultimately gets Marissa into the Range Rover of Tijuana. Yeah, he's like, get your shit. And she's like, I guess I'll go pack. And this really gets the whole trip off on just the best foot. Really does. Just so Summer is trapped in a car with two people she can't stand for the three hour ride to Tijuana before Marissa is dragged along. Oh, and that's the thing that we haven't touched on. I think she's neutral on Ryan, but do continue. The awkwardness between Ryan and Marissa. Because if you recall, dear listeners, episode six, Marissa, this is on the previous on, uh, Marissa walked in on Ryan smoochy smoochin with Seth's grandma, um, (laughs) whose name escapes me. Haley. Uh, No. Jasmine. No. Brittany? Ch- One of those. Ch- Chetney. Chechnya. Ch- <laughs> <laughs> right? We don't remember her name. We're gonna take that. And, and then and then there was the the tousled was, hair and she says, You're too late. And there was a little dig that Marissa got at Ryan when they were back in Teen Lobster Shackville. Um, she said something along the lines of, the last time I saw you, your hands were sort of full. Yeah. And we were like, stick, burn, Marissa, but right. not really. You were on a break! <laughs> so, this is something that we failed to mention earlier, because now, Marissa's ride is she gets to sit in the backseat next to Ryan the whole fucking time. And that's going to be painfully awkward. 
Ryan essentially spends the whole time with his eyes on the ceiling. (laughs) Because we are pulled into this very awkward banter, very rapid fire, very teens do not have the faculty to talk like this, very somebody consulted with the writers of the Gilmore Girls before they were the Gilmore Girls. They're doing a witty back and forth. Are we talking about Summer and Seth? Summer and Seth. Oh like my the, god. The love-hate relationship whatever. At one of the at one of those it, it was around this time I think or maybe a little bit after we had to pause and I said something like if Summer or so I, yeah, I said something along the lines of if Seth is still into Summer after this episode I'm hunting Adam Brody down and throwing him out of a window. <laughs> because Steve, they are doing nothing but arguing this entire trip. Summer is being extremely negative about everything. She hates Seth's driving. She hates the music. <laughs> at one point, at one point, uh, Seth says, what does he say? That explains that he's Jewish. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. She's like, this dry air is making my hair frizz out. I look like, what did she say? Captain Lou Albano? No. What is she? She says somebody like, I look like little Richard or something like that. And she flips her hair. And Seth says, I think that I think my Jufro, his words, uh, benefits from this. Uh, maybe that's desert heat. This desert heat. Yeah. And Summer goes, you're Jewish? And the disgust and revulsion in her voice when she says it really made me think a little bit. But anyway, so she There are several online forums dedicated to this exchange. Just shitting on Seth this entire time. And I'm like, this is going to be a three hour ride with them doing this. But it's not. It's longer than that. At one fucking point, she grabs the wheel for some reason. Because Seth is like, all right, everybody say goodbye to summer. And because she has insulted Death Cab for Cutie, Death Cab for Cutie count one. Apparently it's a thing that happens a lot in this show, the Death Cab, huh? I guess as a person who is supposed to be going into this cold, you're not supposed to know that, but yes. Owl City, give Ben Gibbard his voice back. (laughs) You are a sea witch, like Ursula, and you stole it. And you made him a tiny little gremlin on the bottom of the ocean. You give him the glowing orb that has his voice in it back. That is Ben Gibbard's voice. That is not your voice, Owl City. One, this is a timely reference. (laughs) Two, Death Cab just came out with a new record. So Ben Gibbard is doing just fine. Three, I have no investment in the fine doing of Ben Gibbard. Did Ben okay, that just that means one thing. That means Ben Gibbard found true love before sunset <laughs> and the curse was broken. <laughs> which means when's the last time you saw Owl City tour? Uh, he was banished back to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, or killed by Triton or something. So like they crashed the Range Rover. <laughs> Seven Summer's adorable bickering. And is it adorable? Is that what we're saying it we're, is? We're putting adorable in finger air quotes, which you can see because this is... Hashtag adorable. Hashtag adorable. Quote, unquote. <laughs> 
and they break an axle. So then cut to them all walking into the filthiest hotel possibly ever shown on the CW. And again, they're... Fox! It's on Fox! I remembered! Did it! Yay! Again, there are allusions to a um, entire episode that takes place off screen because they're like, do you remember when we were in the backseat of the chicken farmer's truck? And I'm like, I would have liked to see that. Right? No, they they blew their whole wad on the Tijuana sections. <laughs> There's no way they could have done that. Mm-mm. Right? But Summer has a feather in her hair. <laughs> conveniently placed so she can pluck it and blow blow it away like I remember I'm gonna smell like the farm for the rest of the trip that's a really good summer thank you you're welcome you're coming around to my voices and I appreciate it (laughs) I knew you would I have in my notes seriously never give Seth a Range Rover (laughs) yeah oh my god he's proved He's incapable of dealing with the responsibility of driving a Range Rover. So we're in the hotel room. The teens are in the hotel room. Summer is going at you. That's where <laughs> we are with the teens. Do we have for do, now? Do you want to do the update of the you count now, or does that come later? That comes later. Okay, good because this is an you heavy episode. <laughs> really is. So we switch back to the adults for a second, and Sandy. And Kirsten are in the, I don't know, foyer of their house, the the grand receiving room. Is this where he sees the... The surfboard. The surfboard. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, honey, you shouldn't have. It's a brand new shiny yellow surfboard. It's got a big bow on it. And she says, I fucking didn't. (laughs) Who's Rachel? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Rachel. Good job. Who the fuck is Rachel? She says, oh, it's the part, one of the partners from the law firm, yada, yada, yada. And they get into this big discussion. And this is what we mean when we say that we don't understand the consistency of the characters. I mean, I'm, that's what I mean. I guess I can't speak for you. But <laughs> Sandy Cohen is suddenly interested in this soulless corporate job because he is concerned about the fact that Kirsten has all of the monies. Yeah, this plot point, I won't say it rubbed me the wrong way. It rubbed me in an interesting way. It rubbed me in a sexy way. (laughs) Like, so we've talked about it a number of times, right? Jimmy could lose his job and Kirsten would never know. Because he brings in literally no money. Sandy. Sorry, uh, sorry. Who did I say? Jimmy? Jimmy. Sorry, yeah. Sandy could lose his job. Do you ship Jimmy and Kirsten? No, I ship Jimmy and Sandy, obviously. (laughs) They had that great moment in episode whatever the fuck where they were playing (laughs) Dynasty Warriors and drinking brewskis, cooking meat. (laughs) Come on. They got a lot in common. They both like Kirsten. (laughs) They can take turns wearing a paper Kirsten mask while they peg each other. Anyway, that's my headcanon. So, what's the thing? Uh, Cockrub Warriors? Cockrub Warriors. <laughs> wonder if that's still a website. Don't look it up. <laughs> They're going to anyway. You can't stop them. All two of them. You can't. Steve already knows about Cockrub Warriors. We go back a long way. So, <laughs> the, the, the Sandy's motivation in this section. 
He says, two of, two, one, yeah, go for it. Two of things that Sandy says. It's about contributing. The only thing that keeps you from feeling like Julie Cooper is me. Yeah. What did he say? So long as I haven't sold out, you haven't sold out. Uh-huh. That's how he kind of feels like she feels. I think he kind of hits that one on the head a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But in Kirsten's defense, every other episode, right? If we're, again, believing characters, you know, if we're, if we are taking uh, that actions speak louder than words, right? Um, Sandy does love being a public defender. Um he, he wouldn't do it if he didn't, because it's obviously not bringing any any money into the household. Mm-hmm. So this turn is a little bit surprising. Because you would think that with all of the lines that Rachel is feeding him about, you could do your job, but more if you worked for us. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing. That's not a thing that happens. Yeah. He also said something in the surfboard conversation where he said, I, I could do even more pro bono work if I did this job. Ma'am, no, you could I don't know how the math works out there. If he's, cause this job is going to be significantly more, uh, responsibility. I would assume because he says, the the offer is what does he say? It's like obscene the yeah. amount of money that they would be offering him. Yeah. Do we? Like, okay. Let's. And Kirsten is still minimizing his. Sorry, I didn't mean. To no, do it, please. Um, his potential contribution because she's like, I don't understand why you would be giving up your ideals to be able to buy groceries for us. Yeah, and he says, please don't minimize this, right? Or he says, like, don't patronize me or something along those lines. He doesn't say, it's all implied. He doesn't say anything like that, but he, his eyebrows say it all. So let's take a really quick second here to discuss Sandy Cohen's motivations and Sandy Cohen's character. Because in every other episode to this point, He's been a stalwart public defender. He really, like, his self-definition, right? If Jimmy's self-definition is a pillar of the community, you know, good with money, reliable, then Sandy's, again, this really, okay. Sandy's definition is, you know, I'm an outsider in this community, right? Uh, I'm a public defender, Uh, He mentions the man a number of times in this episode. Yep. So a lot of his self-definition is centered around what he sees as a conflict. His opposition to the man. To the man. Yeah. Thank you. Um, And so also, I don't think Sandy Cohen in any of the prior episodes has ever given a single shit about the fact that Kirsten has more money than him. Do we think his experience helping Jimmy changed his opinion on that? Do we think, are we reading into this that Sandrew Cohen is trying to hedge his bets with his relationship with Kirsten and build his own wealth? Am I reading too deep? That's, if they're not outright writing towards that they really want us to think it okay i'm glad that i wasn't coming out of left field with that because this is a really peculiar turn for him to take also and this speaks more to the writers wanting to write in a certain direction no matter what the 
consistency is. Do you know who is a guy? Oh my god, no, tell me. <laughs> Shut up. Give me a second. Do you know who is a guy who has a lot of money who may or may not need a corporate type lawyer man? Caleb Nickel? Uh-huh. Oh. Are we setting up this potential conflict? Or a potential situation yeah potential scenario where sandy may be able to actually um repair some of the fractures and the relationship between him and his father-in-law lol because caleb nickel absolutely respects money and he i'm sure is of the opinion that this low-life jewish loser is marrying my daughter and bringing down her potential with his Jewishness. So what we're getting at is Sandro Cohen has daddy issues. Are we reading that deep into it? If nothing else, I wonder if, well, no, now I'm second guessing myself because he's never, he's never, at least to my recollection, exhibited any kind of concern over his, you know, quote unquote masculinity in the face of a wife that makes way more money than him, you know, it does seem a little weird. And, and actually if we're believing characters and if we're listening to what they say, Kirsten herself says, you've never given a damn about money. Mm -hmm. You've never cared about that. Why are you caring about it now? Oh, so remember that thing I said about Holly where they don't introduce characters for no reason. Uh huh. Now part of me is a little scared that they've introduced this Rachel character who has history with Sandy sort of in the arena of litigation. Um, Now part of me is scared that they've introduced her as a potential threat to the relationship with Sandy and Kirsten. My husband in Christ. (laughs) Are you just now coming to this realization? Just literally now. Just literally now. Just literally now. Oh, sorry. Oh, you're so sweet. Is that where I go? Do you know why I didn't go there right away? Because I really respect Sandy. (laughs) No, I really do. I really respect Sandy, and I would never think that of him. I would not be one of the first things I'd go to. Because I think he's very committed to Kirsten. I guess we will see. We're just going to have to fucking find out, aren't we? All right, so we're back in somewhere between California and Tijuana. (laughs) We're not sure where. Um, Marissa is leaning sadly against a vending machine and Ryan is trying to have a conversation with her about ding dongs and cheese sticks. And also what are we to each other? (laughs) Evan, are you a ding dong or a cheese stick? I'm obviously half cheese. Like, (laughs) I'm not even lying. I think physically my body is about, well, half is generous. I'm at least 32% dairy at any point. Um, And this does go back to uh, Ryan having a lot more emotional intelligence than I think any teenage boy on the planet has ever had. Certainly more emotional intelligence than any other character in this show. Yes, because they like go back and forth and she's like, I'm mad at you. And he's like, well, you were with with Luke. And she's like, no, I wasn't. But now I am blah, blah, blah. And he gives her an opportunity to say, 
why did you come to find me in the pool house? Tell me now. And she goes, I hate ding-dongs. So I guess cheese stick. What is a ding-dong again? Uh, it's a chocolate cream filled thing. Is it like a ho-ho? Kind of. I think so. No, I really just want a Twinkie. We had to pause for important podcasting reasons. And in the interim, we looked up ding-dongs. And in this instance, Marissa is correct. Yeah, a ding-dong is not food. No. That's a, that's a definitively a dessert. Mm-hmm. But so, like, Ryan gives her an opportunity to say, to unburden herself, which not a lot of the other men in her life are giving her the opportunity to do. And she just says, I don't like ding-dongs. She should so, have said, I love you, dummy! Because I love you! And then there should have been, like, a bucket of rain poured on them. Right. And they somehow should have been separated by, like, a football field length <laughs> and, like, sprinted towards each other while sobbing. <laughs> and then it would have been the end of the series. <laughs> but no... Here we are. Ding-dongs and etc. So while yes. they're going back to the hotel. Marissa gets a phone call from Jimmy. Oh, yeah, because Jimmy Kirsten is helping Jimmy paint in an earlier scene. In a dongily charged scene. And Not the ding-dong kind. She says, she asks. That uh, was terrible. Um I think the scene, no, that's a different scene, the scene you're thinking of. This one, they're just right. innocently painting. Right. Uh, and but she's no, like, it's, it's building. To oh, sure, I guess, yeah. Um, right, because they're alone, they have history, they're friends, etc. So now that Marissa has no, left sorry. for sorry. her... Sorry, go ahead. We're still not done. Sorry, we're still not done really, really, really quick. We have to say that Kirsten asked... You haven't you haven't told them yet that you're divorced that you're getting to, that you're getting a divorce and that you're moving out and Jimmy's like no because I didn't want them to watch me moving out and she's like if Marissa comes home and you are not there she will never forgive you you have to call her but do we think that's the case I think that she wouldn't forgive him in either circumstance and at this point she has left for her bacchanalian teen weekend before i don't know junior year wherever the fuck uh year 16 <laughs> uh, sophomore year in college i don't know like jimmy has dug his bed if i'm gonna mix the metaphor he's dug his flower bed he dug his bed he made his grave <laughs> and he's fucked either way, but he chooses to call Marissa in the middle of teen weekend and say, I'm not coming home. Yeah. When you come home, I won't be there. And she goes, you and you and mom are getting a divorce. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, sorry to spring it on you this way. I know it sucks, but that's what it is. And so she's crushed, obviously. And there's a really nice little moment when she goes back inside. Like, but first, before Sorry. she goes back inside, he says he didn't want to ruin her trip. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, what do you think this is? What is it? Also, what is the time difference between Mexico and California? And why is it so dark? Yeah, there's real inconsistency. But they're not even in Mexico at this point. No, so they're, they're not. not. They're still no. in Southern California. Yes. Yeah. 
So, yes. She goes happens. back inside. She's broken. Uh, Ryan had overheard her phone conversation on the pullout bed or the pullout couch, the hide a bed. Um, she's on the side of the bed, uh, just having sort of like a, a quiet, you know, breakdown because she, you know, for reasons. And, uh, Ryan says, I'm sorry. And she says, thank you. Um, Oh, and okay. Sorry. We've we're talked about the fucking, this. we've talked about the summer of it all. Yeah. We're the pajamas con- of it all. We're contrasting this with the scene with summer and Seth going to bed in the hotel room and summer who has spent the, uh, first 10 minutes of this act complaining about how much she hates a hotel room and how dirty it is. She comes out of the shower in this tiny fan service negligee. And is like, Colin, you have to sleep on the couch. And Colin is like, no, I'm not sleeping on the couch. I'm staying here. And there's a joke about SpongeBob in there somewhere. I don't. And she's like, she, she, she goes onto the bed and he's sitting on top of the covers and she gets under the covers and she says something along the lines of, if you make a move, I'm going to rip out your jugular. And he's like, whatever, bitch. No, he's like foreplay. Oh my God. That's he says right. something like yeah. foreplay or pillow yeah. talk. Or right. Something. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. He is just as annoying as summer is this entire episode, which might mean they're fucking perfect for each other. They deserve each other. <laughs> we anti-ship it. Ship Seth with no one. I'd but like if, to ship them off to a fucking desert island is what I'd like to do. <laughs> but if it means they are not wreaking havoc in anybody else's life, then yes, they deserve each other. Okay. So then, yeah, we do a, a, a dolly shot or like a crane shot up over all four of the teens laying down very uncomfortably in this shitty hotel, just having a great time on their fun, fun vacation. To TJ. And then it is the morning times and we do a slow pan over Ryan's jean clad body. Oh yeah. Because the last shot before that was the, 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 the two, the four teens, uh, it's boy, girl, boy, girl on the hide a bed and the real bed. Because if boys slept in a bed together, it would be gay. Does this count? Does it as- count as gay panic? Yes. Does it? Yes. Really? Absolutely. Yeah, if, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. If they had any like, oh, I don't want to like destroy her right? honor or whatever. Yeah, because- you're right. The yeah. girls would. Yeah. Yeah, but then we couldn't have this shot. It's true. Yeah, so the shot before this, it's boy, girl, boy, girl, and they're they're all question marked and they're facing away from each other. In the morning, slow pan up his body and he is spooning the fuck out of Marissa. She is being spooned to hell and within an back. inch of her low-rise pants life. <laughs> Except it's a low-rise skirt in this episode. And I know this skirt because everyone in the whole world wore it between 2001 and 2003. This was like the this was like the skirt that was in Delia's, right? 
uh, Delia's American Eagle, the one Amber Crombie, kind of like a pale pink, yeah, flare kind of, yeah. yeah, kind of like petals, <laughs> kind of gently um, flowing out around the woman's torso to imply the flower of her virginity. So I am reading too much into the script. <laughs> Go ahead. Ryan is asleep. Very spooning Marissa with his manly arm around her, holding onto her tiny hand. And we, in this podcast, are suckers for a manly arm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And suckers for spooning in general. We do love a good spoon. He's asleep. Marissa is awake. And you can tell by her excellent eye acting that she (laughs) is super into this. She is soups into it. She is D. T S down to spoon <laughs> down to fucking snuggle <laughs> DTFS down to fucking snuggle boys. She is DTC down to cuddle. So, so then Ryan wakes up and he realizes there's a great fucking like five seconds of eye acting on both of their parts <laughs> where you can see his left eye peeking up over her neck and it's going like. Like looking around, like, oh my god, oh my god, I spooned her. I'm spooning her. I'm spooning her. She's being spooned by me. And then, yeah, he kind of pulls away and she kind of rolls over and he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And she's like, I know, it's okay. So we cut from that. <laughs> the fucking scene. I asked if he was dreaming this because it seemed so unlikely. Um, Summer and Seth are at a booth in a diner and they're silently exchanging sections of the newspaper and sipping their coffee at the same time in a way that the viewer who is an impressionable and somewhere between the demographic of 18 and 24 is meant to think is adorable. He, he at one point pushes his, his toast, toast over to her. Yeah. And she takes a bite of it. She takes a piece of the crust, like yeah. kind of swipes it with her hand. Yeah. And they're like, should we have woken up? Ryan and Marissa, no, they were super cute. And this is where rage blackouts are introduced for the first time conversationally. What are they what are they talking about when it happens? Oh yeah. Seth is like, face it, Summer. You're into my torso. You're s- <laughs> you you like long boys. <laughs> face it. Do you know what a long torso means? Do you know oh my god. It means a long toe. Do you want, you know what I, do you know what I really want to know? And again, okay, I'm doing my goddamn best (laughs) to believe characters, right? And to, to give them even the sliver of the benefit of the doubt. I'm sorry, but Summer is just, it's, uh, she's undoable this episode for me. She's so they're like antagonistically negative about every and so critical about and also Seth is just an idiot. He's not funny. He thinks he's super funny. 
Nothing he says is clever. He thinks he's very clever. He has no sense of style. Like they are not good for each other. They're absolutely not good for just, she can't stand to be near him. During this diner conversation at one point, she says, which I think they were trying to make fetch happen here because I have never heard this turn of phrase in my entire life. Ready? Okay. She says, trouser it, Cohen. Right. It's too early for your so-called comedy. Trouser it. What? 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 So now, officially on this pod, when we don't want to talk about something or we need to wait until later to discuss something, I'm going to try and say, trouser it, Sarah. Trouser it. Trouser it. Evan. Trouser it, Sarah. (laughs) You, the listening audience in Belgium. What a thrill for you. You... You can try and just salt and pepper this little colloquialism into your daily life and see if it improves your day, you know? <laughs> Next time you're having coffee or a cafe, un petit café avec les amis, um, au restaurant, uh, we don't speak Flemish, you could say, uh, you know, uh, je voudrais trouser uh, uh, ça. Sa. <laughs> uh, a demain. Wait, what's tomorrow? Is it demain? Mm-hmm. Pas aujourd'hui. Pas, pas aujourd'hui. Pas aujourd'hui. <laughs> We're so international. Are you trying to test me on my French? Because you I'm been not... Duolingo. What's what's your streak on Duolingo? Je ne suis pas falling for your baits. We are not sponsored by Duolingo. Duolingo sponsor us. Please give us money though. <laughs> So anyway, just really quick to try and round out my thought. Like, there's no reason for Seth Cohen to like Summer. What is Summer's last name? Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's been established. There's but, no reason for okay, Seth to like yeah, Summer. No, and there's no. absolutely goddamn Luli no reason for her to like him. He is no. an idiot. There absolutely is. He is. I'm sorry. Yeah, really quick. He is an idiot who refuses to not just... He, re- he doesn't just refuse to pick up subtle clues. He refuses entirely de facto to listen to the things she is explicitly telling him. But if we have surmised in previous episodes that Seth has a humiliation case. That's right. He's that a, is he's why. A, he's a werewolf with a humiliation cake. a werewolf cake. with a humiliation cake. And a he, pinky fetish. He just wants to be just peed on by all of the other werewolves. <laughs> oh my god, is this the fucking Omegaverse before the Omegaverse was a thing? Yes. <laughs> oh my fucking god. That is why he There's is. no other explanation is the thing! <laughs> I don't want to actually make that canon! But there's no other explanation for someone to pursue another person who is so abusive to them. Like, witty banter between, like, men and brunette ladies has been around since at least Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Borgart. Okay. Borgart? If I aggressively negged you all the time when we were around each other, would you have said, like, would you ever have stayed with me? Absolutely not. No. But what I'm saying is they are trying to, like, establish a repartee, a witty back and forth 
in this tradition and failing miserably. Yeah, yeah, falling flat on their goddamn face down a fucking escalator. Like, that's how fucking bad it is. And again, setting up a generation of the millennials, premillennials, who What does he think? What is his end game? She hates everything about him. (laughs) What is his fucking goal? To spend a misery with this person? <laughs> to, to bear children that also hate him? Like, what are they? What is his fucking plan? We'll see. Oh my god. So, okay, we're finally in Tijuana, and we go, we do this giant pan on a sign that says you can get arrested for immoral conduct or something. There's the fucking Venga bus all over the place. The Venga bus is coming. They're in Tijuana. They fucking made it. Uh, the first thing they have to do is score a bunch of pharmaceuticals. But no, we shift immediately back to adult world. Well, I thought adult world is before Tijuana. It doesn't matter. The timeline of events doesn't matter, Steve. It's what it's the, it's the beats. It's the story beats that are important. So Sandy has another meeting with Rachel at an outdoor uh, seafood establishment and she's like chop chop Sandrew there's a statute of limitations on this here deal buddy what does she say the partners are going to remove their their bid or whatever mm-hmm. in like 24 hours uh-huh. if they don't hear back from you and he's like try the sand dabs what the fuck is a sand dab I don't know listeners write in tell us what a fucking sand dab is <laughs> and if it's good or not <laughs> Because I can't even think of anything that that could possibly be referring to. No. We're not going to look it up. Honestly. We won't do it. Go to the fucking Twitter. Tweet at us in French or Flemish. (laughs) Um, I have in my notes, were we in mason jar ass drinking glass times in 2003? Is that what they were drinking out of? That's what Rachel was drinking out we of. We must have been. We must. Yeah, that's been a thing for a long time now. Has it? Yeah, I must. Apparently. I don't know when it kind of seeped into the lexicon. I'm I'm willing. I'm absolutely willing to go. Yeah, because hipsterism is coming around the 20, the, the, the 2000s. The aught threes. Because I would have been 23 and I was wearing low rise jeans and uh, and a newsboy cap. Yep, I had a newsy cap that I wore all the time. So yes, I feel like mason jars are absolutely a thing. Yeah, and I was shooting weddings at the time, so I guarantee there were some fucking mason jars happening at weddings. All right, stimulating. Stimulating. Okay, I have no. We cannot have two divorces, damn it, Jimmy. And how is Jimmy paying for this apartment? Because we shift to adult world and Kirsten is back at the apartment with Jimmy. They're painting or like setting up tchotchkes. She's apparently there to screw in one light bulb. One light bulb. That's right. (laughs) She's on the ladder. She's on a ladder. And Jimmy is like, do you ever think about what if we got married? And she's very de rigueur. She's like, yeah. Like, no. This does, I do recall in a previous episode pushing really hard for Kirsten being into Jimmy. And I apologize for that narrative. And because Jimmy is the problematic one here. Like, nothing against the actor who portrays Jimmy. 
He probably did not choose to have that haircut during production. (laughs) But it is doing nothing for the shape of his head or the shape of his face on the front of his head. I would not have married that haircut either. It's just not doing it. Like, I'm sorry. Nothing against the actor. So they're talking about, like, I don't know, existential uh, topics. And Jimmy's like, do you ever think about what would have happened if we got married? And Kirsten is like, yeah, sometimes. But, like, also, Kirsten, don't don't encourage this line of conversation at all. Well, okay, I'm going to push back a little bit. Okay. <sighs> Kirsten. She is fresh from these conversations with, with Sandy. Sandy, right? So, yes, she is thinking what would have been different. And also, if we're pretending like these characters have a long enough memory to recall what happened in the first in the previous episode. Right. They didn't watch the previously on. If we're if we're pretending like they remember what just happened. Uh She's also fresh from being reminded of the conflict between Caleb and Sandy. Yes. Because they're from two different socioeconomic strata. Which 15 years ago or however long ago they got married was probably like, yes, fuck you, dad. Right, yeah. Sandy probably had like long mutton chops and like bell bottoms. Uh-huh. He was like, yeah, I want to be a public defender. And Caleb was probably like, you know, Caleb, uh, so right now this would have been like the 80s or the se- right late 70s. Just like would gasp and sip his martini. Yeah, right. He, yeah, in his full Gordon Gecko outfit, yeah. right? Blue and white stripes with uh, with white collar and cuffs. Yeah. Right? Uh, fucking suspenders. But that type of adversarial this relationship. Jew! Yeah, can... I can just, it's Caleb's voice. <laughs> it was a good Caleb. <laughs> It is adversarial, yeah. So she's it remembering that. It wears on you. Yeah, it absolutely does, right? When you cannot, um, when you cannot synthesize your family, your yeah, your your married life with your family life, that can absolutely be a stressor. Uh, and then also, I'm sure all of this stuff with Jimmy. This is probably the most time she's spent with Jimmy Cooper in years, because. Julie is absent conveniently from this episode. We have no idea where Julie is. She and Caitlin are riding horses in the Northwoods. I don't know where they are. Um, but anyway, this is the longest that she's gotten to spend with Jimmy alone, probably We're in many years. We're assuming that the actress did like a Hallmark <laughs> movie or something. Sometimes you just can't afford to have everyone in the show, you know? Yeah. Well, and it wouldn't have made sense story-wise. It would have been too much, you know, for a 45-minute, you know, episode. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, if, if, if we're reading into her motivations, you know, maybe she's like, hey, you know what? Sandy's not the only one that can kind of reconnect with an old flame, you know, in private conversation. But you come to find out she you're, you're right. She should not have encouraged this because Jimmy smooches. Kirsten. Jimmy smooches Kirsten. Uh oh. Do you want to talk about the camera work? On I want to count. Yes, I want to talk about the camera work on this scene. So Kirsten is up on, and you know what? Let's also talk about if we are. So what? A, in in one of the episodes, we talked about sort of filmic language, right, and cinematography. And if this show is taking itself seriously enough to actually use some of these techniques to hint at deeper relationships between characters and families, 
The one that we mentioned in that earlier episode was the difference between the Cohen's house and the Cooper's house. The Cohen's house, they're richer, they're more powerful, they're more stable, uh, is on a hill above the Cooper's house. So the language and the blocking in this scene, Jimmy is finishing building what looks like an Ikea bookshelf and doing a bad job of it. Kirsten is on a ladder above Jimmy. He is literally looking up to her, looking up at her. Her hair is kind of glowing. We're kind of in the, what's it called? The, 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 not the magic hour, the magic hour. Yeah. We're in the magic hour. The golden hour. The golden hour. Thank you. Uh, and her hair is very golden. Uh, the sunlight is streaming through the window of his new apartment. It's very PC. It's got PC as in P-I-E. C-E-Y, not PC as in politically correct. <laughs> it's got like this halo around it, basically. Yeah. She's high lit to the gods. And he is looking up at her and reminiscing about their youth. And if we were to uh, take this for the, um, the, the visual metaphor that it could be sort of interpreted as, he's kind of putting her up on a pedestal, right? That's one of the ways you could you could read it. So then she is descending the ladder and she falls from her pedestal. It's not or dangerous. Like loses her footing or something. Yeah. And what happens? He catches her. And the camera very explicitly zooms in on his right hand on the small of her back, kind of cradling her torso. Which is the kryptonite of every character on this show. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. The back. Yeah, it really is. You're totally right. Yeah, it's not. It's the care. Yeah, it is the kryptonite for the man whose hand goes to the back. Cut a uh, 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 flashback to Cotillion where Ryan was uh, fastening the dress uh-huh. and losing his fucking mind. We haven't seen the dog since episode three, <laughs> but we would assume that the small of the dog's back is also. <laughs> Dog's kryptonite. But really, like, Ryan loses his shit. Jimmy, that's the moment where Jimmy kind of, you know, he loses his faculties a little bit and he goes in for the smooch. And Kirsten pulls away after about half a second. She's not engaged in it. Right. She doesn't kiss back. She's definitely, definitely being kissed. In the words of Summer, no tongue. <laughs> Uh, no tongue. No tongue. Jimmy's very apologetic. Kirsten says I should really go. Um, he apologizes profusely while she leaves to go back home. But there was a smooch. There was a smooch. Not a two-way smooch. Not a consensual smooch. But she did certainly. Um, she did certainly say yes. I have considered what might have been. And even though that was absolutely not consent for a smooch, it would explain why Jimmy felt emboldened in the moment. Is she saying this to, like, placate him? Or is she... I think she's just being honest. You think? Yeah, I think she's just being honest. I think think she's very sort of, you know, very... um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? uh, Not de facto... Not say la vie. <laughs> Not ho-hum. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> I've lost the thread. Go for it. It's okay. 
Um, so we have gone through that plot point and we are back in Tijuana. Tijuana! And everyone is walking in the middle of what appears to be the middle of the day. And the lighting is very inconsistent and strange. Are they in a soundstage here? Do you I, think this is a soundstage? I don't think this is a soundstage because of the level of realistic looking sweat. Mm -hmm. on all of them. Mm -hmm. I think they might literally be in Tijuana, but I also know nothing and have done no research. You and I have never been to Tijuana. We have never been to Tijuana. We'll probably never go to Tijuana. I mean, I feel... Yeah, no. We don't speak Spanish. We're not going to go to Tijuana. We barely speak English. We barely speak English, as you know. And un smattering de Francais. Listener. Parska High School. So we're bopping through Tijuana on the way to the Boom Boom Room. It appears what appears to be 2 p.m. It's hard to tell. From the lighting. At least they're not doing the thing where whenever you're in Mexico, the lighting is yellow and sad. But we do have to say that Summer explicitly goes to get pharmaceuticals for her mom. Without giving away the next conversational topic, did you think anything of this at all? I thought it was a convenient excuse for her and Seth to leave the frame so that Ryan and Marissa could have a brief conversation. Because Marissa excuses him. She says, you don't have to come if you don't want to because I'm going to go find Luke. Yeah. And he says, no, it's okay. So it, if nothing else, at least it looks like their friendship might be on the repair. Also, there was a Seth joke in that Summer was like, I have to go find some painkillers for my stepmother. And Seth was like, I need an antihistamine. I have allergies because, you know, who has allergies? Nerds. <laughs> So they're winding their way through the streets of Tijuana and talking about what they're going to do when they get to the Boom Boom Room. And then they get to the Boom Boom Room. Before they get to the Boom Boom Room, Uh we are treated to a small vignette with Holly and Luke, right? Yes. Yeah. Because Holly is like, Marissa's not even coming I love this song. Oh, no, 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 no. We were in order because we get to the boom, boom room and there's the slow pan across the extras body who the men are doing the body shots off of. Mm -hmm. And Luke does several of alcohol (laughs) and the song in the background. And I have in my notes is, Aren't we a little on the nose with this, OC music supervisors? I don't know what the song is, but the chorus is, I'm out of control. I'm losing control. And Holly pulls Luke aside and says, Marissa is not even coming. She essentially cups his balls. <laughs> like, she is, she, she wants it. Holly wants Luke. We kind of respect Holly because Holly knows what Holly wants. She at least goes for what she wants and she's not afraid to pursue it. Holly might have one dimension, but that dimension is hot. (laughs) Hey, feathered hair, you know, Mm -hmm. it takes it takes a lot of guts to wear hair that feathered. 
and to go for Luke as hard as she does. Yep. So you know more about and have more to say about the camera work. So describe what happens at this point, because our intrepid foursome arrives at the boom boom room (laughs) whilst it's okay. So I'll try and paint this picture for you, Steve, because you're never going to watch this show. Even though in an earlier episode, I uh, it was episode six. I just implored you. I implored you uh, essentially on my knees to watch this fucking show. Steve, he hasn't been to parties. <laughs> no, Steve has never been to a party like this. <laughs> Neither have I. I doubt I doubt most people in Wisconsin have or will, or will go to a party like this. Excuse, I have. Okay. So it's a two-layered club. So there's sort of catwalks above the dance floor. <laughs> We call those levels, not layers. Sorry, layers are like a cake. So it's a it's a it's a two level <laughs> club, um, and the 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 duo of Holly and Luke have retreated to the upper uh, level, and they're doing the dancing thing. It is unclear whether there is actual music in this club scene. <laughs> Where no one's dancing to the same song? Yeah. 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 Um, they are, well, you know, dancing is a generous term. They're essentially just fucking. Their hips are kind of fused. Yeah. Like, and they're making out. And, but the camera is doing the little trick where it's, we're editing, right? So we cut back to our intrepid foursome. They're, they're doing some shots. Uh, they're looking around, they're smiling, they're having a good time. Cut back to Luke and Holly, who are just grinding and kissing. Cut Women back to are the foursome. for some reason paying attention to Seth and taking uh, squirt guns we assume are full of tequila. We would we would hope. Because somewhat, this implies that someone wants to get Seth intoxicated enough to get with Seth. To steal his money. No, that's the only thing that they want. <laughs> no. They see Seth. They're like, he has very clear skin and straight teeth. Like, he comes from money. Oh, girl. He doesn't speak Spanish. We can get him wasted and take his money. On Nepal, pa. L'Espanol. So, cut back and forth. Uh, quick cuts. Um blue flashing lights bah. but they also they they do actually something really really clever with the lighting so uh holly and luke when they are dancing they are covered with blue light and the foursome while they are navigating the crowd looking for luke are covered in different colored lights kind of red purple green as we're cutting back and forth and when they enter the blue light that's when the audience knows they are close to spotting Luke. And sure enough, in a, in a shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot sequence, uh, Marissa sees that Luke and Holly are going at it hardcore. Uh, smash zoom into Marissa's face uh, as she realizes what's happening. Because this show loves nothing more than a shot reverse shot oh it loves him so much so much (laughs) and Uh, then we cut to commercial on marissa's chagrined face yes we do when we come back from commercial there is a conflict marissa confronts luke what how could you because let's not you know mince words here she was her first and (laughs) holly (laughs) <laughs> and I laughed so hard at this. 
What does she say? He gets with everybody. He gets with everybody. What is she? She and she just lists off girls, people, girls at blank school, girls at other school, girls at this school. Everyone knows. Everyone knows Marissa, and now you know. Just humiliating, poor, poor Marissa, who runs away. Luke does seem upset, but mostly just that he got caught. Yeah. He's also very drunk. This is another really good example of Summer being a good friend because yep. she's like, you fucking bitch. Her parents are getting divorced. She, <laughs> Seth has, this is another rage blackout. Seth has to physically remove her because she's about to kick the shit out of Holly. <laughs> and then reference the rage blackouts. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. At one point, she threatened Seth with a fork. Did we talk about that? We did. Okay. Um, yeah. And I would like to touch on this again. There's a few things that are very consistent about uh, Summer's character in this episode. Primarily, it's just her being an incredible cunt to Seth. Like, just (laughs) obscene. She hates him so much. But in this episode, she really comes through for Summer. She's very supportive. She's very comforting. Sorry, thank you. Sorry, 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 sorry. Um, She's not coming through for herself, my guy. No. Um, And I don't, like, I can't, I can't reckon. I can't get, I can't wrap my head around, again, if this is just, these characters are what they need to be to serve the story from episode to episode. Because there are lots of times when it seemed like, and I commented on this, there were lots of times when it seemed like Summer and Marissa were friends because of convenience you know like there are so many times where she's just like oh coop you're you know i mean you can't really say that and also not say the same thing about anybody who you went to elementary school with they're in high school but i'm you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, you're still kind of right. People yeah. grew up with each other. People ride for each other for years and years and years. You have people that you ride for. I have people that I ride for. Okay. And I think I've just struck on... On day. What I have to... I think I've just struck on how, how I kind of have to approach the characterization of these people in this show. All right. It's all very... Um, contextual, right? Because Ryan, (laughs) Ryan throws a punch. This is, this is the, this is the rule. They all have rules to which they adhere. uh, Ryan only throws a punch in defense of someone he loves or respects. But prior to this, we was only a Cohen. It was only a Cohen. So this has expanded the universe of Ryan punch. But like this is the this is the general rule that I'm that I'm going to kind of write like the 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 actions of these characters are highly contextual. So Summer is supportive when like you could make a logic puzzle out of these things if you wanted to, right? If like, Marissa is hurt, Summer will be supportive. Like a uh, grammar. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, right. If one of if one of Ryan's important people in trouble, Ryan punch. <laughs> right. Fair. <laughs> and in this scene, Ryan punch. <laughs> but the greatest thing. Okay, the greatest thing about this scene. 
we're going back to the establishing shot of Tijuana, right? Where the big Tijuana sign says that there's going to be criminal criminal prosecution if you do a misconduct (laughs) while you were in Tijuana. And Ryan absolutely throws a punch at Luke and there are no criminal repercussions. (laughs) Which is like, why would you establish so hard on that shot if for no other reason than to be like, oh, guys, don't go to Mexico. You think it was Chekhov's sign and they didn't use it? They didn't use it at all. This is the first Chekhov that was not Chekhov. What I do really love, though, is Luke is is unable to pursue... Not because Ryan knocks him out, but because the mere act of Ryan punching him incites a giant fist fight in the club. It is a milieu. Like, everyone just starts fucking punching each other because Luke got punched. It is like a fucking episode of The Simpsons. Like, oh, someone's punching? Yes, I get to punch! And then they just start fucking punching random people. It is a Simpsons, but also Jerry Springer. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I mean, somebody should have come with a fucking folding chair and, like, just smacked a guy out of the Like, fucking suplexing each other. This is a full-on fucking luchador in the corner, like, sort of pile driver. <laughs> And we have learned to never trust white men's personal growth. Luke has fully heel turned. And I'm going to read my notes from this second, from this part, even though we haven't established this part that comes after, but we're going to say it anyway. But girl, I recognize that we have to up the dramatic stakes with every single episode, but don't OD because, oh, the first guy that you sleep with. Oh, we are kind of getting there. We right? are. We did. Because there was a Chekhov's painkillers. So, okay. Um, Marissa runs out of the fucking club. They're trying to find her. Um, the boys go this way. They, they do a Scooby-Doo split up. So the boys go in one direction. Um, what's her name? Goes back to the fucking hotel. Summer. Summer. Goes back to the hotel. And there's our girl. Uh, so Summer finds her. You know, she's like, she's very comforting. She's very supportive. She's like, you know, that sucks. We can just go home. And Marissa, she's really in a bad place because she's like, I can't go home. I have nobody. But also a very myopic place. She gives this. She's 16. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, she's 16. But she's like, I have nobody. And it's like, hey. Look at the person who took you on this trip. Right. Yeah. Look at like, thanks a lot. Look right in front of you. Look at the people who are literally sharing this dumbass. All <laughs> right. Yeah. And fuck. I mean, I just me as the audience, I was like, sweet. This is your fucking chance. Get with Ryan. He's great. You really like him. Yeah. But. But you can totally see. So, you know, we're also let's also remember that the kids have had a few drinks at this point. So some of their uh, some of their responses are inhibited. Right. Right. So Summer goes into the bathroom. She's like, I'm going to get some stuff and then we're going to we're going to head out. Um, And Marissa sees Summer's purse and what should fall out of it. But uh, Chekhov's pain kills. uh, 
<laughs> pain medication. Yep. She snags them and she runs away. Uh, Summer calls the boys and says, I got her. Come back to the hotel as quickly as possible. She's like, Coop, Coop, you want to get some food? Coop, Coop, Coop. Coop is not there. Summer runs out. The boys arrive. Coop is gone. Cut to one of the more dramatic and sort of unhinged sequences of this ep- of this show so far. There are multiple random people in Sugar Skull makeup, and I don't really know how to process Right, that. is this fucking Dia de los Muertos? I don't think it is! No. Fucking school is about to start. It's the end of... Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe. Who fucking knows? California it's, has no seasons. No. It's fine. So... Uh, Marissa has the painkillers. Marissa decides to go to the most middle-aged bar of all of the middle-aged bars and get a shot. She's like, I'm a tiny teenage girl who's obviously already drunk. I'm going to go and get even drunker surrounded by like 60 year old men who are lasciviously staring at her. Like this is a real conversation. Suicidal tendencies, suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. is a real thing it's a real cry for help we don't want to make fun of her in this scene but also she like takes a fistful of pills with a shot and it feels almost like a glamorization of sad girls everywhere Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. is your dad divorcing your mom get some painkillers and take them with some tequila when those pills fell out of the purse and I was like, are we doing this too? <laughs> I was like, we've already done so much in you, this episode. I think you paused and were literally like, are we doing Yeah, this? I was and like, I was- we're also doing this? We're doing so much in every episode. Here is a thing that you gotta internalize going forward. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are doing yes, this. Yes, we are doing it. And also that. <laughs> I was surprised there wasn't like a D plot of an axe murderer in fucking Tijuana, like taking out minor characters. Like, honestly, where the fuck is this show going to go after this? It just keeps adding and ramping it up. You gotta stop asking. There's gonna be a fucking like active shooter in the next episode in the hospital or something. Like, they can't die it back anyway so yeah she takes the pills she stumbles out of the bar because it looks like three guys are like gonna potentially approach her in a maybe weird way i don't yeah actually no thinking about it now we're probably led to actually think that their actions were benevolent that they were like this girl is not in a good way we should she seems like, help her super fucked up yeah she seems really fucked up. yeah this girl weighs like 90 pounds soaking wet she's been having a lot to fucking drink we should probably help her out but she's like ah mexicans i have to run away <laughs> So she runs away from the Mexicans, and then this sequence is a little unhinged, at least cinematographically. Cinematographically. She is, like, stumbling around. She is dewy, dewy with sweat. Her hair, if you guys remember, the visual language of whether or not Marissa Cooper is having a good time is how coiffed her hair is. (laughs) If her hair... hair is well coiffed she's got it together if her hair is askance then she is fucked up and she is very fucked up in this fucking she is like it is bad she's stumbling around 
you know, cut to shots of people having a good time. She's there in the middle of it. What's the song? It's like Massive Attack. Is that it's what you're saying? It's a Massive Attack song. Talking about dogs farting. <laughs> that was great. You paused it and you were like, I just want to know if you'll be able to clock what comes up at some point and see if it feels weird to you too. And I'm like, we're watching the show. We're watching the show. And I'm like, did he say dog farting? And you're like, yeah, that was the one. That's what I was wondering if you were going to notice or not. Yeah. So it's a montage uh, the kids are looking around trying to find her. She is, she, you know, looks like she might throw up. She's like stumbling. <laughs> For the listeners at home, I just want you to know that Sarah has Googled massive attack dog fart. And the first image that comes up, if you do this Google yourself, is a white bulldog with the word fart coming out of its butt. Just look that up. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Um, but anyway, she eventually collapses in a dark alley with a single spotlight on her sort of shape. It is very convenient that this alley was unoccupied. And also that it has a single spotlight in which she decides to collapse. Uh, and the, the gang finds her and Ryan runs into the alley while Summer and Seth... I wanted to ask you, because now I don't remember. Did Seth put his arm around Summer? Summer buried her head into Seth's left shoulder. Okay. And he sort of embraced her, kind of. Okay, yeah. Uh, They're all chagrined, uh, because as fucking far as the audience can tell, because Ryan goes over her her body, her unconscious body, uh, he's kind of saying things like, hey, wake up, right? Mm-hmm. She does not wake up. No. He picks up her body um, like a fucking bride. And it's this is it's a weird scene because you would think he'd be like, we have to run her to the hospital. But he just picks her up and holds her in the spotlight. Like, uh, I present to you the, the unconscious body of Marissa. The audio, the oral language is the Mazzy Star song from literally the first episode where he picks her up and plops her in. I did not catch that because I have terrible memory for music. I have a terrible memory for everything but music. Thank you for reminding me that that's what happened. I'm glad that that sort of book ended. Mm hmm. So the fucking audience is led to believe she's dead. Like, because he's not like, we need to get her to the hospital. We need to yada yada. I'm pretty sure she's not dead. That would be an early, early time to kill one of your main fucking characters and your main fucking love interest. And in 2003, where you could not necessarily go on the interwebs and be like, oh, no. She is not dead. We just have to experience several Super Bowls. Before <laughs> the show comes back. <laughs> but no, the oral language is Mazzy Star for the two of them. The uh, imagery language is the Pieta. Yeah, it's very Pieta. Which coincides with Veronica Mars, which makes me upset that there was no crossover. 
between the two <laughs> series is. But that is a different podcast. And then fucking credits. And we just have to see what the fuck happens in episode eight. You people will be left on tender hooks. So, Sarah, um, episode villain. Oh, God. This feels... This feels anti-feminist, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Kirsten. Why? Because she had the opportunity in the various wine conversations (laughs) on the uh, kitchen... What's the word there? The the kitchen slab. The island. The island. Thank you. About how Jimmy tried to get with her. She could have told if 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 it uh. was if it was a solid the rock marriage. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. would have mm-hmm. told Sandy's mm-hmm. ass mm-hmm. right the fuck away. Yo, yup, 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 yup. Instead, yep. she was like, let us put the onus on whether <laughs> you're going to take this corporate right. sellout let's, job. Let's save this. Let's save this for a previously on when it will become <laughs> when it will become relevant to whatever happens in this episode. I have consulted with the producers and we do not think that we need to tell you about this right now. <laughs> yeah, that's valid. Uh, I hate that I'm doing it because she she wasn't she was passively kissed. She wasn't actively involved in the kiss. Right, but... But! Absolutely, there's no reason not to tell Sandy. No. There's no reason not to. Well, okay, if you feel bad about your about your villain, I'm curious to see what you think about mine. I think Sandy is my villain. Yeah? Yeah. He's really pulling some shit in this episode, in yeah. my opinion. He's very combative with Kirsten for no reason when she's just trying to remind him of sort of his moral ethical stance that he's always championed for for their probably entire relationship, right? And now he's kind of doing this, what feels to her or what must look like a 180 degree turn in a different direction. Yeah. Um, So he's weirdly defensive. I do not like this strange new toxic masculinity that he is displaying with suddenly caring about like money you know, oh, my wife makes more money. You're like, I don't have my own money. Like, that doesn't rub me the right way at all. Also, his hair looks like shit in this episode. <laughs> it does. It's flat and weirdly greasy. <laughs> but also, it's just in a style that is so unbecoming of a fucking lawyer. Like, and Peter Gallagher has great hair. It just really annoyed me. Yeah. How bad his hair looked in this episode. Um, But yeah, he's being really childish. I do not like some of the sexual implications of his banter with Rachel, you know, and whatever. I'm sure he right now has no intention of following through with that in any way that would be untoward. But I think, I mean, he's not an, you know, there are very few people who could qualify as the villain in this episode. The easy one would be Luke, but like Luke is such low hanging fruit at this point. He's just an idiot, horny boy who gets drunk and makes out with Holly. 
that's not enough for me to say he's the villain. He doesn't make out with Holly. He like fully does all of the like home run business with Holly. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, like, you know, that's par for the course with Luke. Does that make you a villain? Yeah, no, I think that just makes you kind of following through on your manifest destiny. And bad at sex. What? <laughs> manifest destiny? That's you manifesting your character, I guess. And I don't know. I'm tired. Um, but yeah, like with regards to someone truly sort of betraying um, their motivations as they have been realized in earlier episodes, I think Sandy's my villain of the episode, which I hate to admit. No. I hate to admit because he's been the hero so many times. Yeah. But he's pulling some bullshittery here. He could have a fall from grace. We all have to have a conversation with our dads, who are Sandra Cohen. Look at us! Look at us putting the fucking power couple in uh, in the shackles of our our episode villains. Look at us! <laughs> Let no one ever say we are not courageous with our decisions on this show. We have so much courage, right? We're brave. MVP. MVP. Okay. Um. Probably just Ryan, honestly. Like, I know it's just so cliche at this point, but there's only so many characters in this episode. Yeah, like, there's so few characters in this episode. And I always really kind of base my MVP on usually the person that displays the most agency. Like, is it the trio of guys in the bar who did not <laughs> sexually assault Marissa? Like, no. Honestly, you know, the only other option for me would be Marissa because she's kind of like advocating for herself a little bit. And honestly, I no, I mean, honestly, I go back and forth about, about uh, suicide, you know, like part of me is like, you know, it's an unfair thing to do to the people you leave behind and it's selfish. Sure. But also, if you want to stop existing, I feel it's maybe a human right that you should be able to exercise. For the listener, my eyebrows are on the ceiling. I agree with you in the nominal sense. No, I'm not making her the hero. Because she's a drunk, you know, depressed teen. You know, obviously, I don't, you know, think this is the right, well, whatever. That's the point I'm getting at. Yeah. She hasn't considered this decision for longer than five minutes. You don't get to make that decision about yourself until your minimum brain age formed. Well, there's probably extenuating circumstances there, you know? There are some kids that have had some pretty shitty experiences. Let's not bring the mood down too severely here in this episode about suicide. Um, yeah, no, I think my I think my 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 hero is is Ryan. Right, he picks her up at the end, very heroic. Um, he spoons her. I goddamn love a good spoon, you know. He spoons her unconsciously. His body is so protective and drawn to her in like a loving way. That the only the only thing he could have done is rolled over onto his right side and spooned her. That was the only option, you know, in his dream state. And then fluttered his little eyelashes. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, where am I? Oh, oh my gosh, I'm spooning her. Oh my gosh. Oh shit. Okay, so that's now my hero's Ryan. It's really predictable, but I think he's the only one. Your hero. Your MVP. Your top dog. <laughs> You stole my You hero. can also be Ryan. You stole my hero. He could, I mean, it, what, we, we raised the question. Who the fuck else could it be? It's not going to be Jimmy. It's not going to be fucking Seth. It's not going to be fucking Seth or Summer. Oh, my God. 
It could maybe be Summer because she is honest to a fault. She does not play games. And she does support her friend. But I still think mine is Ryan. Yeah, because if Summer were the hero, she would not have introduced the Chekhov's uh, painkillers. Yeah. I know they were for her mom, so it's like a nice thing to do. But stepmom, anyway, because we have established that she is a child of child of divorce. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of the things that they can kind of connect over. Did you have more notes? But uh, that let's take a look. Taking a look at the notes. That's a dog dick. You closed your notepad. Yep. Everybody look up Danny the dog. Don't do it. I trust you will edit this. No, this is all. This is all. No. This is all in. God damn it. Okay. I think we have to officially retire the Rosa account. (laughs) Rosa is dead. She's dead. (laughs) There was a second where I was like, wait, does Rosa have a real estate license? But then I was like, wait, no, that is another generic Hispanic name where Kirsten was talking about. She has a Gloria who is the real estate person. So Rosa equals dead. <laughs> Did we establish a gay panic count here? Yeah, we, we decided that the boys, that yes, sleeping boy, girl, boy, girl is gay panic. Yep. Yep. And also, um, shit. Write, write to us on Twitter. If you think that that's not gay panic, cause here, this is, this is two ways it could be interpreted. It's either gay panic or they did it specifically so they could have the shot of the two couples sleeping with their backs to each other. Um, that's the only two. That's the only two reasons. Yep. The you count is at six. <laughs> How many of those are in this episode alone? Four. That's a lot of ooze. It is. There's that. Um, I have in the notes about, okay, there's a couple notes about the scene leading up to the Pietal moment. Mm-hmm. There are two random people in Sugar Skull makeup. You said that. I said there was one, but there was two that I have in my notes. So there's that. Why? It's. It doesn't help that it's so quiet in our place that there is. If there is a pause, I literally hear crickets. <laughs> I'm just like the audience is not connecting with me. <laughs> crickets. <laughs> um, if fan cams existed in 2003. They would absolutely be centered around the Ryan picking Marissa up off of the alley sidewalk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What have you. Yep. To like an Evanescence song. Yes. 
But it's really just the Mazzy Star song because that's like their theme. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I for one am fucking curious. I have a, I have a, like, I'm hoping episode eight will open in a fucking hospital in Mexico where our girl is recovering. Because this is clearly a two-parter. It fucking has to be. Yeah, it absolutely goddamn has to be. Because I, they're, that was they in- love a drama, but they're not going to fucking kill Marissa Cooper in episode seven. It was interrupted by, like, I don't know, American Idol or the Super Bowl <laughs> or something. Because there's no other reason. In its original air? Yeah. Yeah. There's no other reason to divide this... <laughs> you know what this means. You know what this means. They're gonna have to trouser this one for later, Sarah. Oh my god, California, Sarah. California, Evan. You just listened to Orange. You glad we watched the OC, recorded in guest bedroom studios, hosted by Sarah and Evan. Original concept and questions by Sarah, recorded by Evan. Edited by Evan. Uploaded by Sarah. Please give us as many stars as the platform you're listening to this on will allow you to give us. Copyright 2022.